Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. So, we have been finding ourselves in the book of Daniel. And if you've got your Bibles with you or an app and you want to turn there, we're going to spend uh, a good amount of time there to begin with. But let me set the scene, if I could. Uh, If you went about 60 miles outside of modern-day Baghdad, you would find the ancient city of Babylon, where our story is taking place. You would find today a city that has been somewhat rebuilt. Uh, Famously, Saddam Hussein saw himself as a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar and wanted to rebuild this city in some of its former glory. That dairy didn't end very well for him, but that being another story. In the 1800s, they began to excavate the ruins of this ancient famous city that had one point been the center of power in the world. You'll remember from your uh, high school classes, the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens of Babylon, that's here. And it turns out it's from the same period of time. It was King Nebuchadnezzar who had built those. He also built these. Uh, This is the Gate of Ishtar. You've probably seen pictures of this somewhere. Uh, This is actually uh, the gate recreated. It's in a museum in Berlin. It was excavated in the late 1800s, recreated by the early 1900s. Archaeologists had had found the ruins of these walls and these bricks covered in, uh, in blue ceramic glaze, and painstakingly they excavated them, saved them, and rebuilt these walls, this Gate of Ishtar the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. All of this would have been there in the very chapters we're reading in Daniel chapter 2. It's 650 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, and Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful king, ruler in the world. And he's sleeping in Daniel chapter 2. Or, actually, he was sleeping. He had a dream, and he woke up. And he couldn't remember the dream. Has that ever happened to you? You knew you dreamed something. You just couldn't exactly remember what it was you dreamed, but it felt... It felt like something. King Nebuchadnezzar, this famous, powerful leader wakes up in the middle of the night and he's had a a dream that seems significant and he can't remember what it was. And that's important because he's got a court full of sorcerers and magicians and soothsayers and prophets and people he pays to tell him what his dreams mean. So he decides... If they're really good, not only can they tell me what my dream means, they should be able to tell me what my dream was. 
Seems perfectly reasonable if you're a king, doesn't it? So he calls them. He says, I need to know the interpretation of the dream and his court full of magicians and sorcerers and prophets say, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And he says, no, no, no. You tell me the dream. And they say, no, no one can do that. You're asking too much. <laughs> he says, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you all because I'm the king, and that's what I can do. Word spreads, and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get caught up in this. They're, they're part of this court that should be expected to be able to figure this out, and now their lives are on the line. And Daniel quickly makes his way to see the king. And he negotiates for a little bit of time. Give us, give us a bit of time, and I'll tell you what your dream was. And I'll tell you what it means. That's a big promise. But Daniel believed. And Daniel makes his way back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and famously he says to them, you guys better pray, because I just told the king, not only could I interpret his dream, I could tell him what his dream was. You can see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going, you did what? Why would you do that? And they begin to pray. It's not like Daniel has an answer. They're, they're praying, God, reveal this to us. And God, in a miraculous fashion, reveals it to Daniel. Daniel makes his way back to the king and he says, here's your dream. In your dream, there was a, a statue and maybe you've heard this piece of the story and it had a, a head of gold and a chest and arms of silver and a torso of bronze and then legs of, of iron and then feet of clay and iron mixed and and then a great stone came and crushed it all and consumed the world. And in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar remembers. That's it. What does it mean? And Daniel famously gives him an interpretation. He says, well, what this means is, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the, the gold head, the powerful leader but you're not going to live forever. And after you will come another leader who won't be as strong as you. Somehow, Nebuchadnezzar likes that interpretation. The next guy is like silver, and then the next one like bronze, and the next one like iron, and then finally clay, and they'll all be consumed. And we've been interpreting this as empires coming after empires coming after empires for years. Nebuchadnezzar decides that this man, this Daniel, should be in charge, and he puts him in charge. In fact, Daniel, will find through the rest of the book, serves through the reigns of four kings and two empires. It's an incredible story. So what do we do with it? We're talking about first things. We're talking about how to live well anywhere. 
How do we live well when we're not where maybe we want to be? And I think this passage gives us the chance to talk about a number of things, but today I want to talk about the secret of guidance. Can we know God's will? Does God guide his people? I was reading this, and I just, let me, let me point to the verses that sort of stuck with me. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 10, a retelling of what I just told you, but the astrologers replied to the king, no one, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great or powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. What are you doing? The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell your dream. And they do not live here among people. Huh. So, so that was the phrase that caught me. No one except the gods can tell your dream. And they do not live here among the people. And Daniel replied in verse 27, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. That's true. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay in your bed. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. The gods don't live here among people. Oh, no, 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 Daniel objected. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. There is a God in heaven who speaks to his people. I, I guess that's the question that we have to, uh, to wrestle with. Does God reach down? Does God talk to us? Does God speak to us? Is God's will knowable? Does God reach down? Those of you who know me well and have been around here a while, you know, I'm a bit of a... I'm a bit of a... I don't want to call myself a cynic or a skeptic, but I like to think of myself as a realist. Like, and honestly, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that gets blamed on God that I just, come on, you're just making that up. There's a lot of, there's a lot of silliness and self-serving mumbo-jumbo that gets planted in God's voice. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you're like, ah, 
I'm a bit skeptical about all this. Like, I don't, uh, yeah, maybe God does, but I don't, how can you even know? Does God reach down? I think so, but how can we, how can we know? How do we, how do we separate the silliness and the self-serving and how do we, how do we hear from the, because if we're not careful, what happens is we become practical atheist, right? Or, or, or modern day deist. You know what deism is? Deism, uh, a few hundred years ago, around the founding of our country, deism was a, was a popular form of religion. It often masqueraded as pseudo-Christianity, but deism was this idea that, that yes, there was a God, but he sort of, he sort of wound up the world and he let it go and he doesn't have anything to do with us. He doesn't reach down. The, 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 the Bible, that's not the, that's not the words of God. There's miracles, the intervention of God in the world. That's not a real thing. And, and Jesus, well, Jesus was a good teacher, but it's not God in the flesh. God doesn't reach down. It was deism. And our, 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 many of our founding fathers were deists, right? And, and deism flowed out of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment period came, and in Enlightenment, we were the scientific method, and we were, uh, medicine was advancing, and we were discovering how to cure things and where things came from, and we were uh, understanding the kind of reducibility of the world, and we were seeing things that we had never seen before. And there was this, there was this sense in the enlightenment that we've got it figured out like we're 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 on the road and we're gonna we're gonna make the world a better place and enlightenment led to deism and there was this sense for a few hundred years where here we go and we can fix any problem and figure anything out and the enlightenment and deism kind of fell out of fashion the late 1800s a civil war the early 1900s world war taught world war one that kind of ended it by world war ii we figured out we don't know what we're doing and people are just irredeemably bad in some ways but if we're not careful we we sort of reduce god to to this distant powerful creator that sort of wound it up and let it go and we don't really wrestle with what it means that God reaches down Psalms uh, chapter 32 says it this way verses 8 and 9 these are great verses the Lord says I will guide you along the best pathway for your life I will advise you watch over you can I just tell you I believe that I'm not a, I'm not a, a deist I, I, that's probably obvious but and I don't want to live my life as a practical atheist I, I believe that God guides us that he advises us that he watches over us <laughs> verse 9 adds a cautionary note do not do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and a bridle to keep it under control. I believe that too, right? What that's saying is the psalmist is saying, listen, God guides us. He, he directs us. He, he intervenes in our life. He, he watches over us, but we can ignore what he says and, and we have to learn the hard way. That's the, the bit and the bridle it's talking about there. And I, I believe that too. I believe I've spent a good portion of my life learning things the hard way. Can anybody else say amen? I mean, there's just time we're not listening and we're learning life the 
hard way. So what's the secret of, of guidance? How do, we, how do we listen? How do we know where God is guiding us, how he's leading us, how he's speaking into our lives? So I, I think this brings us to the first thing, and let me just put it under this, this simple umbrella and then offer a pathway. God speaks we have to listen. And what does listening look like? F.B. Meyer wrote a book whose title I used for this message, The Secret of Guidance, a hundred years ago. It's become a favorite of mine recently. It's just, it's short and it's simple and it's $2 on Kindle. Those are all redeemable things right there. It probably goes up and down. And in it, he offers an outline that, that, I found really useful in this path of, of listening. Like, how do we listen? Like, how can I hear the, the voice of God? I'm not talking about how do I hear an audible voice, but if, if God reaches down, if God speaks into our world, if he leads us, if he's watching over, he's protecting, like, how can I lean in and listen to the voice of God in my life? Well, he gives... He gives a, a, a pathway. Let me, let me sum it up in four, four points. First, he offers this. Check your motives. Ah, this is really good. Because all of us have a, a bias. We have a selfish interest. We have something we want to do. And somehow we've got to, we've got to separate these things. This passage here in Luke chapter 11 says it well. Verse 34 your eye is like a lamp. It provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Does it make sense? Like, like, if, like the, the, the wisdom that we're taking in, so make sure that that wisdom is is true, that, it, that it's right. I've got a, a, a Toyota SUV, and it's about six years old, and it's a nice car. I mean, six years old feels brand new these days, right? If you've looked at the new price of new cars, it feels brand new. And, and, but, but I never use the GPS. It's got like one of those little screens, and it's got a GPS, but I never use it because it's inherently unreliable. I don't know why, but it's just not reliable. It's like the thing is never updated from the day it got bought. It just kind of sits there, and, 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 and so I always find myself using the, uh, my, my phone. Anybody else like this? It's like the phone is like the, because it's reliable. It's like constantly updating. It's like tying into the internet, and it's updating, and there's traffic coming up. At it. it's, like, it's literally updating by the minute, but the one on my car is kind of dumb. It's like, it's like got old information, and it's got those old highway numbers on Route 6, right? It doesn't even change those things. You know, who knows where you're going anymore, right? It's got all of this, it's got old information, and so it's not reliable. And, and, and that's what this is saying. It's like, check your motive, because there's an old wiring in your body that just wants what it wants, and you have to make sure that the wisdom that's filling your life is not the bias of your old nature, your, your motivation. What's your motivation? Do we just want what we want, or have we surrendered our will to him? Or, or, or do we really want what he wants? That's what it means to check your motive. And here's the second one, and this isn't, this isn't, this isn't sexy, right? But it, it's important, and it's this. It's gather information. 
just gather information, like, like do the research. I, I love this passage here, Luke 14. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Jesus is offering this wisdom. It's about as straightforward as you can make it. Like, who sets out to start and build a building and doesn't sit down first to see whether they've got enough money to finish it? It's just, why would, why would you do that? And so count the cost, right? There's a, there's a simple principle here, and, and I, I, I don't want to belabor this, but I don't want to skip over it, right? There's a there's, there's a principle about understanding God's guidance and leading in the world that is part of it is just gathering information. It's understanding what's happening around us. It's, as Jesus said, it's, it's counting the cost. And that can apply in a lot of different areas in our life. But you see, God works through the mundane just as often as he works through the miracle. In fact, let's be honest, God works through the mundane more often than he works through the miracle. In fact, the first miracle that God may have put in your life is your mind. And he wants you to use it, right? He, he wants you to count the cost. He wants you to understand the obstacles. He wants you to, uh, to sit down. And I, I love the old one. You know, you, you can pray for God to, you know, for your t- old student taking a test, God, you know, help me with this test. And you know, the, the, the proper prayer is probably, God, help me remember everything I've studied. But some of us would be terrified to pray that. God, help me remember everything I didn't study. That's a miracle. You see the distinction there? Like, you know, like, like the gift that God gives us is a, is a mind. It's a, and, 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 and part of the story is, is, is gathering information. It's understanding the circumstances. It's, it's studying. It's, it's being being wise it's counting the cost here's the third uh, I, i'm going to put them together it's uh, i call them the two tools and it's the habit of prayer and word prayer and word those two things go together i i, I just i, I found I, I can't separate them in my life prayer and word prayer and the prayer and the word right that's that's what it's talking about the the, the habit, if you want to know, you, you, will, you, will, never, you, you will never have a growing grasp on, on God's will, on his divine guidance, and, until you spend time in prayer and word, prayer and word. I'm, I'm not, and, and in fact, let me just clarify, so I'm not talking about like consuming vast quantities of scripture. I'm talking about, about dialing in. I've spent the past uh, nine months now really just kind of Devouring one passage of scripture in Colossians chapter three, and and, and I we're probably doing a series on it coming up, but it's just become a, a just it's there's there's so much in this one chapter to to digest and to understand in our lives, and and so the prayer and word, and and what happens is in prayer and word, this is where I learn what the voice of God sounds like, and and in prayer, His Spirit His Spirit speaks to me, and until we develop a daily habit of this. This verse, James chapter 1, if you need wisdom, verse 5, ask our generous God, he will give it to you. He'll not rebuke you if you're asking. For 30 years now, this this verse has been a prayer of mine. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, he will give it to you, not rebuke you. For 30 years now, it sounds like a long time, but this is our 30th year as a church. And let me tell you the story of how this sort of all started. 
Um, when Tammy and I came to start Cape Cod Church, we were 23. No idea what we were doing. No, I mean, I mean, we thought we knew what we were doing, but that shows how little we knew what we were doing, right? Because we were 23, but we did feel God was leading us to do this, and I still, I still feel that way. And, 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 but I mean, listen, the first time you open up a, 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 you open a church in a plumbing building, you realize, oh, this is a little bit crazy. This does not always make sense. And so where we've got these pews and, 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 and there, was a, there was a little corner and we, I, had, I had an office. <laughs> and because, and this is just a true confession, because every pastor I knew had an office. I just, I needed to feel like a pastor. I'm like a 20, I'm 23, I've been out of school two years, I've been married nine months. I don't even feel like a husband. I, I'm like, I gotta feel like a pastor and I'm, I don't even feel like an adult. Remember when you were 23? You, you don't feel like, you feel like you're, you're, you're faking it. And here I'm like dressing up in a suit on Sunday in a plumbing building and calling myself pastor. It was, it was the oddest of times and I've got this office and, 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 and I, had a, I had a mentor, uh, a pastor friend. And, and he, was a, he was a very, very, successful pastor and in his office he had a fish tank so I got a fish tank <laughs> true story those of you who are in the plumbing building there's a few of you still around here may remember this it was a fish tank like little zebra fish and it's like there's a big fish tank too and, and zebra fish and I had those little fake shark fish I thought those looked kind of cool and I, and like, I think there was a part of me that was like, oh, I, I will, th this will make me feel like, you know, I'm a, a pastor. And I remember like getting this and going, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like it didn't help. It made it feel worse. It was like masquerading. And somewhere in that first year, I remember coming across this verse from James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Ask. So I just began to make this a, a habit in my life. A process of just daily, just asking for wisdom. I'm not, I'm not a, a, a giant of the faith at this. I just made it a habit of of word and prayer, word and prayer, of consistently taking the things I was confused about or fearful about and bringing it in prayer and seeking wisdom or guidance. And what, I, what I've seen over a lifetime of doing this is that God, God reaches down. I don't always hear him. I won't, I won't stand before you as some paragon of virtue to say, do exactly as I've done. I'm just telling you that the process works, that like, like the habit of applying these two tools of prayer and word, prayer and word, gives us space where God speaks to us. F.B. Meyer offers a fourth secret in this search for guidance. And it's easily the hardest one. Because <laughs> after we've checked our motives and gathered information and prayed and read, 
we inevitably have to wait. Waiting. God often works in the waiting. But waiting, and some of you are right there. You're, you're, you're in the middle of, of waiting. You're waiting for something to be over. Or you're waiting for an answer. You, you've been like, God, I... I, I you know, and it may have just been days, but it, but it feels like nothing else matters until that answer is present and we're waiting. And have you noticed that, that waiting has a, a heaviness to it? It has a, a weight to it. It like sits on our life. But, but while we're waiting, God is working. And this is where he's, he's speaking. We're, we're waiting. And while we're waiting, he's working. And in the waiting, he's, he's speaking. He's doing his thing, but he wants us to wait because it's in waiting is where he speaks to us. If, if we've ever had a personal conversation about this topic, then you've probably heard me say this in one-on-one -on -one conversation. I've discovered in my life that when I follow this, that given enough time and information, God usually makes most decisions in my life obvious. Given enough time and information, God usually makes most decisions in my life obvious. And my greatest problem is in the waiting, the time. Because waiting often feels like suffering. And, and you, may, you may feel like that. You may just find yourself in that period of time where you're just, you're waiting and the waiting feels like, like suffering. It feels like brokenness and heaviness on your life. And you can't think about anything else but the relief and the moment of relief from it. And I just want to finish by, by giving you just two things that God has just kind of poured into my life and through Scripture in this process. And the first is this, that while you're waiting, He's working. It, he's not done. It's not just because he's like put the whole game on pause. He's, while, while you're waiting, he's working. He's working at doing something. And here's the second thing. He can bring joy in your suffering. This has been the hardest one to live with. And in the midst of just like, like the weight of waiting and the heaviness and the suffering, I just... All I want to do is I just want to hold my breath and hang on and wait for it to be over. And, and you may be right there right now. You've got, you've got something in your life and you're just like, until this is done, I'm just holding my emotional breath, waiting, waiting. But I found in that place with him 
in that place of, of prayer and word and silence, he can do something remarkable. He can give joy. In the midst of suffering, not after it, not before it, not even in spite of it, that, that, that right there in the midst of it, when things aren't figured out and I'm still waiting, his, his spirit speaks to our spirit and he, he, gives, he gives a glimmer of unexplainable peace of joy. That's what he does. That's what it means to walk with him. That's why he told us, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Do you believe it? Do we believe that God reaches down and speaks to us? You may be here and you're like, Ben, I'm just, <laughs> I don't know what I believe. That's why I'm here. I'm just exploring, reaching out. Now let me tell you the one place to look. In all of history, the greatest proof that God reaches down is Jesus Christ. From the manger through a life lived of healing and teaching and speaking to his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Jesus Christ is the story of God reaching down as an invitation to you and I. And discovering that walk with him is the journey, the life of discovery of what it looks like to find his guidance. And it begins when we say, yes, Jesus Christ, I accept you. I trust you. I want to follow you. You are my savior. Maybe you're here and you've not taken that step and the best way I can think to finish all that is to give you a chance to say yes to Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed and you may need this moment. You may just be, you may be in that place of waiting and waiting and waiting and it just feels like the, the season of suffering has come into your life and it's not it's not leaving and I just want to give you this moment in prayer with him maybe you're ready to take a step of faith I do this every week because I don't know your story. I don't know how you came in today and how God has been at work. And 
all that may have happened to bring you to this moment in this place. Now maybe all of this is for you. You're here and God's been at work and you're ready to say yes to him. Then my invitation to you is right where you're seated. Do it. Say yes to him. It's a prayer of faith. It's not the prayer of a pastor or the prayer of a church. It's your prayer of faith. The Bible says as a person, man or woman, believes in their heart and then confesses with their mouth, it's made into salvation. That there's a, a moment, a step of faith where we say yes to him. If that's you, I invite you to pray something like this, but it's a prayer of faith from your heart. Dear God, here this morning, I say yes to you. I trust in you. I want to follow after you. Jesus Christ, I believe you died for me and you rose again. And I trust in that. Your gift of grace, the forgiveness of sin for my salvation. Help me now to live my life fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen.